Hi, this is Lori Denning, and this is my podcast, The 20 Minute Scriptorian, where we follow the Come Follow Me curriculum. I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints, and while this is an official, I am a believer in the gospel of Jesus Christ. A little bit scholarly, a little bit inspirational, this podcast will attempt to help us become better disciples of Christ. Join me, Scriptorians. Hi, my name is John Nelson, and I am back for my second podcast. And again, if you were expecting Lori Denning's podcast, The 20-Minute Scriptorian, you're in the right place. Lori was kind enough to give me another opportunity to be your substitute teacher for today. Now, like Lori, I too am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and am a believer in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love learning, and I love sharing the things that I have learned especially about the scriptures and the restored gospel. I like how Lori emphasizes that her podcast is a little bit scholarly, a little bit inspirational, and always with the aspiration that this podcast will help each of us become better disciples of Christ. I hope that will be your experience as you listen today. Now, as you know, these thoughts are my own, and they are not an official representation of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. As usual, we'll be following the Come, Follow Me curriculum, and this week is Helaman 7 through 12. And since Lori covered Helaman 7, today we're going to be exploring Helaman 8 through 12. But honestly, it, it, may be a, a, it may be a bit more accurate to say that, we'll be, that I'll be using these chapters as a jumping-off point. See, I, I learned a long time ago that when I was a gospel doctrine teacher that it's, it's pretty much impossible to cover everything and an assigned reading, especially when there are multiple chapters, and, and kind of unwise to even try. You know, when, when Lori and I talked about this opportunity of being the substitute on her podcast, I had to ask myself, why do I want to do this, and what do I hope to accomplish? As I've, as I've thought about this, I've prayed about it, what I hope to do is just to share with you the things that I find as I journey through the Book of Mormon. And I hope that what I find interesting and strengthening is something that you also find to be of value and worth to you. I, I, I kind of look at it this way. My personal scriptural journey is like walking in a stream or a river. Where I grew up in California, we lived by the American River. It was a beautiful river, and I used to love walking in it. I don't know how many of you have, have spent time walking in rivers before sometimes the water's up to your knees and you just you just keep wading through and sometimes you're barely getting your ankles wet but for me a big part of the enjoyment is the search the search for something that that catches your eye just under the water you know a, a pretty rock a gemstone a, a crystal you know some beautiful creation of nature just hidden down under the water as I read the scriptures, the words flowing by are the river, they're the stream. And sometimes I'm up to my knees and I just keep wading through. Sometimes I'm barely getting my ankles wet. But I am always looking for something that catches my spiritual eye. Something hidden below the surface, that, that pretty rock, that doctrinal nugget. Now, I say all this because I want you to know my style. And I hope you're okay with sometimes not going into a verse-by-verse -verse or a play-by-play -play detailed look at the block of assigned chapters. I also have to confess that 
sometimes my wading through the stream looking for doctrinal nuggets takes me to a very different place from where I, where I actually started. For instance, today we're going to start in the book of Helaman, but we're going to eventually find ourselves back in chapter 1 of 1 Nephi, you know, where it all began. Um, one other comment before we dive in. Uh, again, I have no idea if you're like me, but there are two, two things that I love to discuss, and they're the two things that you are never supposed to discuss in polite company, politics and religion. Now, I bring this up because there's a lot of craziness in the world right now, particularly in the United States. And as an American, I see direct ties to American politics, and it really seems like we, we are living the Book of Helaman. It seems like we're at a point where the chaos and the darkness are growing, and our national politics could be well informed by an infusion of true religious principles. But I am going to avoid that discussion here in this forum. I wholeheartedly support getting involved politically, and I'm an advocate of political debate and discussion, but not here. I, th I think that would be a different podcast. I really want to keep the focus here on the atonement and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, sorry for the long introduction. I just thought it might be helpful for you to learn a little bit about me and, and my style. So, so let's dive in. As, as Lori and I have already noted, the book of Helaman has three major headings that divide the chapters. The first heading that we looked at in episode 102 introduces the book of Helaman, and it's where Mormon tells us that the whole book of Helaman is a focus on the Nephites. The next heading sets off what we currently know as chapters 7 through 12. And as Lori pointed out in the last episode, number 103, the focus of this section again is on the Nephites. Now the third section heading at the start of chapter 13, although much shorter, is still focused on the Nephites. It simply says, the prophecy of Samuel the Lamanite to the Nephites. So I find it interesting that there is little if any mention of the Lamanites and no mention of the Gadiantans in those headings. I do think there is a lot we can learn from the Lamanites and there is a lot that we can learn from and about the Gadiantans. But I don't think we should make either of those, as I had mentioned before, our focus, particularly at the expense of our focus on the Nephites. It reminds me of Matthew 23, uh, verse 23, where Jesus rebukes the Pharisees and the scribes for paying tithing while omitting the weightier matters. He wanted them to do both, but he clearly identified what were the weightier matters. So for me, focusing on the Lamanites and the Gadiantans is like the tithing in that verse, and the Nephites are the weightier matters. So having said that, let's completely switch over to a, to a different concept, a, a concept called intertextuality. Now, intertextuality refers to the influence that one text can have on the meaning of another text. It's a, it's a technique, a literary device, that a writer uses to create an interconnection between two different documents or two different writings, but with the in order to influence the reader, 
and hopefully expose layers of depth and meaning that are hidden within the text. Now, sometimes intertextuality can be very obvious. For example, when, when Helaman tells his sons, Nephi and Lehi, in Helaman chapter 5, verse 9, he, he tells them, Oh, remember, remember, my sons, the words which King Benjamin spake unto his people. So here, direct reference in the text to another document, which, by the way, for us, is Mosiah chapters 2 through 4. Um, so Helaman told his sons to remember the, king, the words of King Benjamin. From an intertextual point of view, that becomes an invitation to us. And we should ask ourselves, why was it important for them to remember the words of King Benjamin? And how might Mosiah 2 through 4 help me better understand the lessons of the book of Helaman? So, sometimes intertextuality can be, can be a little more subtle, more of an allusion than a direct reference. For instance, in Helaman chapter 3, verse 3, Mormon tells us about how people departed into the land northward to inherit the land. Then in verse 5 of chapter 3, he goes on to refer to the land northward as desolate. Then in verse 6 of that same chapter, Mormon points out um, or points to an important nugget, kind of just below the surface. He defines desolation. He said, It was called desolation because of the greatness of the destruction of the people who had before inhabited the land. Now, as students of the scriptures with eyes to see, Mormon seems to be giving us a not-so-gentle nudge to go study desolations in the scriptures, especially when only a few verses earlier he told us about the destruction of the Nephites. So, trust me, you can spend quite a while studying the Jaredite land of desolation, as well as the desolation of Nehors. And in that same exploration, you'll want to jump over to the Old Testament to study the, uh, the abomination of desolations, or as it's called in Hebrew, the Shekutz Shemem. Fascinating stuff, important things to look at, and if you choose to study desolation, you should ask yourself, why did Mormon add those references to desolation, and why might have he mentioned that those heading north went to inherit the land? So, kind of an interesting intertextual that's available to look at. Now, I was, I was recently reading a book from the Maxwell Institute's Brief Theological Introductions to the Book of Mormon series, and the specific book was titled Helaman, a brief theological introduction, and it's by Kimberly Matheson Berkey. In it, she identified um, an intertextual parallel between Nephi and Lehi's imprisonment in Helaman chapter 5 and Lehi's vision of the tree of life in 1 Nephi chapter 8. I thought that was kind of an interesting thing. It's worth reading, worth taking a look at and seeing the comparison and, and then what parallel she draws out of that. So, the Book of Helaman is just a beautifully crafted work of literature, and it has many examples of these intertextualities. And, and I honestly, I, th I think Mormon is inviting us 
to wade through that scriptural stream, prayerfully looking for these nuggets that he scattered throughout the pages just below the surface of the water. So with that idea sitting there, I want to shift gears for a moment. Now, last week, the Come Follow Me manual referred to the Pride Cycle. If you're not familiar with the Pride Cycle, I encourage you to read last week's lesson manual on Helaman chapters 1 through 6. I, I don't want to spend much time on the details of the Pride Cycle here, partly because it's visual and a podcast isn't a great medium for representing those kind of visual images, but also because I'm assuming most of you are already familiar with the Pride Cycle. What I do want to focus on is the role of the heart in the Pride Cycle. So Helaman chapter 3, verse 35, describes a process of sanctification that's dependent upon yielding our hearts unto God. Then in Helaman 12, Mormon spends the chapter reflecting upon human weakness and, and then contrasting with God's power. And he starts his thoughts in verse 1 of Helaman 12 by talking about the unsteadiness of the hearts of the children of men. And then in verse 4, he again refers to hearts when he notes that people are quick to set their hearts upon the vain things of the world. And then earlier in Helaman chapter 10, verse 13, uh, Mormon is describing the condition of the people that Nephi was preaching to, and he noted they did harden their hearts and did not hearken unto the words of the Lord. And then a couple verses later in 15, he mentions it again, they did still harden their hearts. So this is, a, this is kind of a theme that comes throughout as we look at the pride cycle, we look at the hearts and the condition of hearts. So President Benson noted in his talk, Beware of Pride, that pride has many labels, and one of them is hard-heartedness. He also notes that the antidote for pride is a broken heart and a contrite spirit. So the, the lesson for us is that the turning of the pride cycle depends on the condition of the heart. Okay, so let's hold on to that thought for a second. What, I, what I'd like to do is take an intertextual jump now. So, so if you're ready, Mormon gives us the words of Helaman in chapter 5, verse 6. And first Helaman tells his sons that he desires that they should keep the commandments of God in chapter 5, verse 6, and that they should teach the people the same thing, keep the commandments. Then Helaman follows with this statement, I have given unto you the names of our first parents who came out of the land of Jerusalem, and this I have done that when you remember your names, you may remember them. And when you remember them, you may remember their works. And when you remember their works, you may know that it is said and also written that they, meaning their works, were good. So Mormon gives us two things. First, an intertextuality. He gives us an invitation to go back to the record of Lehi and Nephi and study their good works. Second, he gives us something to look for. Keep the commandments. So, hopefully, in our study of Lehi and Nephi in 1st Nephi, we can learn something that we can bring back to the book of Helaman 
and apply. Now, I'm not I'm sure that a lot of things come to mind when we think of Lehi and Nephi and keeping the commandments. In in 1st Nephi we learn that they were commanded to leave Jerusalem, they were commanded to obtain the plates of brass from Laban, to to gather Ishmael's family, to to travel in the wilderness toward the promised land, to build a ship and then sail that ship to the promised land. There were lots of commandments that they received. But what might we get if while we focus on Lehi and Nephi and we take the ideas of keeping the commandments and intertextually combine that with the concept of the heart being the key to the pride cycle from the book of Helaman. So Lehi and Nephi keep the commandments. The heart is the key to the pride cycle. Well, one thing that stands out particularly for me is 1 Nephi 15. So the background leading to chapter 15. First, Lehi has had the vision of the tree of life in chapter 8. Lehi shares the vision with his family in chapter 10. Nephi doesn't understand, so he prays and receives his own vision and explanation of the tree of life in chapters 11 through 14. Then, after his vision has ended in chapter 15, Nephi's heading back to talk to his father and sees his brethren arguing about the things Lehi said to the family. Here is why 1 Nephi 15 stands out to me as one of those nuggets that I think Mormon wants us to find. Check out verses 3 through 11 of 1 Nephi 15. The parallels are incredible. Verse 3, Nephi acknowledges that Lehi spake things that were difficult to understand, save a man should inquire of the Lord, and they being hard in their hearts, therefore they did not look unto the Lord as they ought. So there's the hard-heartedness and an example of not keeping the commandments, the failure to do what they ought. Then in verse 4 and 5, Nephi's grieved because of the hardness of their hearts, but he's also grieved because he saw the destruction of his people, and he also saw their fall. He saw the end and the path that they trod to get to that destruction. Nephi, here at the beginning of the Book of Mormon, saw what Mormon lived at the end, and now Mormon's trying to under, have us understand in the Book of Helaman. So I think it's safe to assume that Nephi and Mormon are probably both on the same page as to the root causes of the destructions of the Nephite, Nephites and, and how to avoid it. So in verses 6 and 7, Nephi asks his brethren what they're arguing about. But for this discussion, honestly, the points of the contention aren't really relevant. What's relevant is the conversation in verses 8 through 11. Nephi asks, Have you inquired of the Lord? And they said, No, of course not, for the Lord maketh no such thing known unto us. And then Nephi asks, How is it that you do not keep the commandments of the Lord? How is it that you will perish because of the hardness of your hearts? Now, without getting into a discussion of which specific commandments they may not be keeping, Nephi is making the correlation and the causation between hard-heartedness and not keeping the commandments. Nephi continues, Do ye not remember the things which the Lord hath said? If ye will not harden your hearts, and ask me in faith, believing ye shall receive, with diligence in keeping my commandments, surely these things shall be made known unto you. Nephi doubles down on the principle that hard-heartedness precedes the disobedience. So, 
Nephite's message to his brothers. After seeing in vision the final destruction of the Nephites a thousand years in the future, Nephi focuses on not hardening their hearts and keeping the commandments, the very key to breaking the pride cycle in the book of Helaman. And Nephi also uses an interesting word. How is it that ye will perish? Was Nephi referring to them perishing individually? Or was Nephi talking about his posterity and how this condition of their hearts will lead to the destruction of the Nephites? Or was it both? The last idea before I wrap this up. How was it that Nephi was so aware of the problem with hard-heartedness? Well, because he personally struggled with it, as we all do. And he received one of the greatest miracles that any of us can. The Lord changed his heart. In 1 Nephi chapter 2, when the family arrived in the valley of Lemuel, the stiff-neckedness and hard-heartedness of Laman and Lemuel were a major discussion point. But in verse 16, we see how Nephi dealt with his own hard heart. He said, Having great desires to know of the mysteries of God, wherefore I did cry unto the Lord, and behold, he did visit me, and he did soften my heart, that I did believe all the words which had been spoken by my father, wherefore I did not rebel against him like unto my brothers. That was the turning point for Nephi. That was the experience Nephi and Lehi knew that Laman and Lemuel needed to experience. And that is the lesson that Mormon wants us to learn in the book of Helaman, how to break out of the pride cycle. Well, we're out of time. Thank you again for spending your time with me. And thank you to Lori for letting me be your substitute teacher for today. I hope you found it time well spent.